Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. We are coming up to the end of the Class of 1999 series and there have still been a few films that came out later in the year that we had not touched on yet and Arguably one of the biggest ones and one of the you know more popular ones from that uh, holiday season was Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. And joining me to uh, talk about it is a filmmaker that I've had on the podcast before. We discussed Fight Club earlier on in the series, and I'm pleased to be joined once again by Jacob Belinsky. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Brian. It's always a pleasure to be chatting movies with you. I uh, I I will uh, go ahead and out myself right right away and say that when I first saw this movie in 2000 is when I ended up seeing it because that's when it got why it's wider release. Mm-hmm. I I was not the biggest fan of it i i i wasn't really sure what i necessarily seen there were things about that i really liked but there were also things about that i i had issues with so i knew when I, this was going to be one of the more interesting rewatches because of the fact that i had not seen it in about 20 years oh um, wow i i'd since so after and i was also at the time, I was also not a huge fan of uh, Boogie Nights either. So after his first three films, I'd really liked Hard Eight, though. I will admit that. Um, I wasn't a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan, but when um, but once Punch Drunk Love came out, I really loved that one, and I've since become a big fan of his. Um, and I revisited Boogie Nights a few years ago, a couple of years ago. I have more of an appreciation of what that movie's doing and what, how that movie does its business. And I will fully admit that there were other issues that had nothing to do with the film that I uh, was holding against the film. And I kind of feel the same way about Magnolia, but I still don't... I like it more than I did in 2000, but I still feel like they're kind of issues with it that I I'm not a huge I'm not quite as big of a fan of it as other people are. Okay. Um what was your what was your um experience with Magnolia when it first came out and uh Paul Thomas Anderson in general at that time? Okay, this is going to be a really interesting discussion, and I'm excited about it because we are total opposite ends of the spectrum here. Um, <laughs> I, I said it for Fight Club. This is the second time in this series that you have me on your podcast talking about this is now the second film that I would rank in my top ten of all time. Like, okay. I, I I adore this movie. The second I saw it, uh, holiday break, I was going to Murray State at the time. Yeah, well, yeah, same as, same as Fight Club. It's like there are all these films that I was seeing, and I was in a very – influential period of my life. I, I think we talked about this a little bit yeah, uh, during yeah. my club where I was, um, <laughs> you know, cause like, you know, like, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm an independent filmmaker, but that was a road to get to that. I, right. uh, I, when I, when I went to college, I was, I was dead set. I either wanted to be an animator or a comic book artist. And so like, you know, I went there for art and I just started seeing all these 
films that changed my perspective of what a movie was, because I'll be the first to admit, my taste in cinema back in the day was mostly shit. Um, yeah. And <laughs> and uh, I I kind of got bombarded with all these these movies that I was seeing uh, my freshman year in Murray. Like, and I met a lot of other friends that were uh, you know like had a very eclectic. Uh, cinematic taste and we, we were watching all these things i had never heard of before and i was thinking what, 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 what is this and i my taste started to change and then later that year you know we got hit with you know, like fight club and magnolia and like and, and everything all, all you know all, all the films you've been talking about and it just sort of that was a good year for not just film but selfishly for me watching film and um i saw boogie nights in high school uh not when it came out like wait like i didn't see in the theater it was like way later when i was working at blockbuster and like i rented it one night on a whim because i was like oh that's that movie about porn let's check that out <laughs> and um you know because i remember everybody said it was good i'm like oh, i think you got an oscar now i remember thinking like wait wasn't this dude like 24 and he was at the oscars or something and you know i i, I kind of thought or some i think he was he was pretty young at that point when he made that movie i don't know exactly how old he was but he was yeah, he was I don't young remember exactly but um, but I mean, so I could have my my details wrong there. But I remember thinking, okay, no, let's check this movie out. And I and I really liked Boogie Nights. Like it made me really uncomfortable because it was, you know, obviously it's a very dark film. But yeah. like it was dark to me because I realized I cared so intensely about his characters. And I there was something about the way that he his dialogue was, the way that his characters were fleshed out, where it just felt like. I, I still have trouble like putting into words like it was just like a unique way of portraying people's stories right. like you know and, like and how his camera is like constantly like rushing in and I remember thinking this guy really likes Martin Scorsese doesn't he uh, <laughs> but uh, I I don't know there, there was just something about the language of Boogie Nights like as a film that that really spoke to me and I was thinking oh that was cool I saw Hard Eight because uh, I was like oh let's see what else he's done and I I, I have come to really like that movie. When I first saw it, I was like, eh. Um, yeah. But Boogie, Night, Boogie Nights, I dug. Then I saw Magnolia. And it was, I don't know, like, like I, I remember being pretty numb in the theater thinking, what did I just watch? I mean, I, right. I sat through, like, almost a three-and-a-half-hour movie, riveted, couldn't look away. Um, and I had a pretty short attention span at that time. <laughs> so I, I, I now I'm a, a very... I can, I think I'm a very patient movie watcher. Like I can't yeah. wait to see the Irishman because people like when they bulk about run times, I'm like, I will, I will sit through, <laughs> I will. I mean, now we're at the day where I'm like, I'll sit and watch an entire season. If I don't feel like getting off the couch of a TV show and binge right. watch it on like, so I'm like, I'll sit through like a three, four five hour movie. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I sat through the, the full, uh, uh, the like the five hour TV cut of Bergman's scenes from a marriage and just didn't bat an eye. I was oh, wow. like not bored at all. And I watched the three hour uh, theatrical cut the night before. I just like you know mm -hmm. like if I like a story, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. So I don't. A lot of people were like, "Oh, what is this long movie?" And it's really artsy <laughs> and pretentious. But like it, man, it just it just clicked with me. I I hadn't really seen anything quite like that at that point outside of maybe Altman's shortcuts, you right. know, about like about these characters that are, you know, brought together by circumstance and chance and interconnection. But like, I, I mean, I know we'll, I'm sure we're going to talk about specifics, but like yeah. some of the details stylistically of like the third act, which I have a lot to talk about when we get mm -hmm. to it. Like it's, it's, I liked it for a lot of reasons that a lot of my friends were like, what the fuck is this? And I just, <laughs> 
I uh, I went and saw it with my mom. Weirdly enough, because like we'll watch anything together, and I was, I remember when I was rewatching it now, I'm like, this is a weird movie to watch with your parents. But, yeah, it is. Uh, but then immediately, like I went back to Murray, and it opened there later because I came home to Evansville uh, mm-hmm. for a holiday break, and when I went back, it uh, it opened there, and I was like, guys, we have to go see this movie that I saw. So I brought literally everyone I knew. Like we had like a whole row, <laughs> and I don't think anyone quite loved it as much as I did, but they were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is pretty cool. But I um. Yeah, my my, fir- my first experience was definitely different than yours. I mean, like generically, I would just say I was immediately pretty much in awe. Uh, right. I have seen I I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen this movie. Not nearly as many mm-hmm. as Fight Club, but um, I actually watched it uh, th- before our talk tonight. Recently, this past weekend, and uh, my girlfriend had never seen it, so I showed it to her, and she really loved it. But like, I hadn't. I realized that I hadn't watched that movie in probably. I don't know. It might, it might've been like five years or something like that. It's uh-huh. been, it's been, it's been a while. Like I haven't, there was a period where like I was watching it probably like once every year, every other year, but then I haven't seen it in a while. So revisiting it, it, it was as good, if not better than I remember. It's one that continues to grow with me on each viewing. And like, I kind of re-fall in love with it. So yeah. uh, I definitely, I, I'm definitely more of a fan of it than you are. <laughs> so, okay. I, I, and I actually, so this actually came up, um, when I did my uh, class of nineteen ninety nine episode for Summer of Sam earlier this year, so Ooh, if you heard one. that okay. episode, you have also heard this story about why I felt the way I did about Boogie Nights when it first came out. So I, so when I went, I did go see Boogie Nights in theaters. I was interested <laughs> in it. I'd seen Heart Eight in theaters earlier that year. I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was good. Um. So when I had seen Boogie Night, so before I had seen Boogie Nights, I had seen Goodfellas like a week and a half before. And, oh, and for Good, the first time? And, yeah, for the first time. And Goodfellas floored me. I I was... Oh, yeah, no, I so remember my first viewing away. of that one, yeah. I was so blown away by that movie. And so when I was watching Boogie Nights, all I could think is, well, this is just Goodfellas in the porn industry. <laughs> and I I just couldn't get that head, that image that idea out of my head and it clouded everything about how I feel about the movie. Now I looked at <laughs> it and I'm like, okay, I I appreciate the movie. I appreciate the filmmaking that Paul Thomas Anderson's doing more. I appreciate the performances more. I appreciate the way he tells the story more. I'm still not the biggest fan of it, but I I like it more. I respect it more as a piece of filmmaking on its own. Okay. Um, Magnolia, I think part of it was, I don't think it was part, I don't think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I had seen Shortcuts by the time Magnolia had come out, and I loved Shortcuts. I thought Shortcuts was amazing. Um, I didn't have the love for it that I had with Goodfellas, so I don't think that really clouded my feelings on Magnolia. I think part of, uh, and we'll go ahead and dive into it. I there are I I think the three hour is even though I have no problem watching three hour movies at all. I I you know if I'm interested in a movie like you, I don't mind how long it is. Three hour movies, three hour movies that I'm engaged in, that I'm fully engaged in, move with the speed of a bullet. 
Right. Um, I think I think if you're looking at the runtime or thinking about how long it is, then that's something about either the pacing or how the film's connecting yeah. to you. Because like I like I'll if it's an hour and a half, if it's four hours, if I'm into it, I'm into it. Right. Um, so I think with with Magnolia, part of it is it had nothing to do with the runtime, but it had a lot to do with the fact that there are subsets of these characters, these groups of characters that I am more interested in than others. And okay. are and it basically boils down to if there are certain stories going on, I'm much more interested in them uh, than others. And that's still kind of the case, although like the big one that I really was not a huge fan of was the story with John C. Riley as the cop and then uh Melora Walters. Daughter. Yeah. And I wasn't really, I wasn't really that inner, I I wasn't really that engaged with that that um that relationship and that the way those two characters um the way that storyline unfolds, I and I'm still kind of not. It's still one of the ones that kind of takes me out of the movie. Um, hmm. I well, okay, taking me out of the movie is not it. It's not the proper way of putting it here. I, I will say. Oh it, no no it, you're you're okay. It uh well I mean even even thinking about it, it's like that's not exactly like taking me out of the movie doesn't mean I'm I'm interested to see where I to a certain extent I'm interested in what's next partially because I couldn't remember what came next a lot of this time because it does move back and forth between all the stories which is fine I. I love when movies do that, and I love when I feel like movies do that successfully. And to assert, and there are times in this movie that Paul Thomas Anderson does it absolutely beautifully. Um, and there are characters in this movie that I think are some of the best written he's ever done. Um, especially the character of Frank Mackey that Tom Cruise plays. I, mm-hmm. I think Phil B- Baker Hall's character's terrific here. I think Phil Seymour Hoffman is wonderful in this movie. Um, William H. Macy, I think, was one of those character arc, one of those stories that I wasn't as interested in in 2000. I appreciate it much more now. Okay. The way he does. And I like the way that sort of re- resolves. I, I think it's I, I think it, it it held my interest more this time around. Um, and the, at the same time, you have Julianne Moore's character, and she was one that I really got into that story because it's part of the main... I feel, well, I feel like if, if this movie has an A story at all, it's kind of the one with Frank Mackey, Philip Seymour... Hoffman, Jason Robards, and Julianne Moore. If there's an A story at all, I feel like it takes, it's the biggest, I I feel like it's the one that controls the most screen time of the movie, at least, even if it's not necessarily the most important. Um, sure. But at the same time, I, I watched, and there are some scenes with Julianne Moore in this movie where I think is really well done 
and her performance is terrific, but there are other times where I wasn't as impressed. I my memories of the movie of her performance were not as didn't hold up quite as well. Hmm. It was okay. kind of interesting. Um but that said, I I will go ahead and say this. Uh Tom Cruise should have won the Oscar for this movie. I Oh, for I, supporting actor? Oh god, absolutely. I I think it is the best piece of work he has ever done as an actor. I I <laughs> wholeheartedly agree. Like and, and I I actually really like him as an as an actor. I mean, like how like I was I was very excited to see who was it that put out the the list of like the best performances of the past decade recently. Did you see that? Yeah, but I mean, did you see how like they were doing that? They did like the best films and they did the best performances. And Tom Cruise was on there for Mission Impossible Fallout, and I was like, I'm really happy about that because I totally agree (laughs) with it. But so like you know, like I've always been a fan of him, but this is for me the best work that he's done. Yeah, and 99 was, I mean, I, and the thing is, I think he does really good work in Eyes Wide Shut, too. Yep. It's just completely different from the type of work that you see here. And it's, I I love that, I love that even, like, he was, he was a huge, he was one of the biggest stars in the world when this movie in Eyes Wide Shut Oh yeah, well you gotta th- you, you got you gotta think yeah because this happened and this is like like his hair as long as it was he was ju- I think just going into filming Mission Impossible two yeah. which came out next year yeah. so it's like you know he was he was sort of like oh you're you're taking a blockbuster break to go do you know okay yeah sure yeah play <laughs> this character and you know the guy from Did Boogie Nice's new flick so yeah it's, he he was I think probably like. I mean, he's never really not been at the peak of his career because yeah. he's still one of the biggest movie stars in the world. But yeah, he was he was on a on a really big high at that point. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, it's it's fine because of the fact that he was coming off of that really long shoot for Eyes Wide Shut. It you know it fin- I think the shoot finished in '96, if I remember correctly, and the movie hadn't come out yet. And come out, yeah. and then Kubert died, and it's like, oh, is that going to really yeah. delay release and stuff like that? And it's funny because of the fact that, I mean, as soon as people caught wind of his performance in this movie, like the relative, I mean, Eyes Wide Shut was kind of a failure when it came out. It wasn't as quit- critically well received as. Uh, people thought it would be even though it's, well, it was a wonderful yeah. film oh no it's it's it's, it's beautiful it's actually yeah. it's it's uh it's fighting with it but it's very close to being my favorite Kubrick movie yeah. i i think um i think a lot of people at that time to touch on that were probably like oh let's go see the new tom cruise the cold kidman movie and they had no idea what a what a Kubrick movie was and they're like yeah okay <laughs> but they're like what is this shit and i'm like <laughs> this is what you came to see what, what were you thinking Oh, I know. It's like even even at the time, like I I read as much as I could about the movie, and so like it occurred to me when when the movie came out, I loved it immediately. I thought it was wonderful, and it's mm-hmm. like I remember a lot of the conversation was I I think people were seriously expecting like a porn film from Stanley Kubrick, and I'm like, 
Yeah. And, yeah. and you thought you like, we're going to see Tom and Nicole get it on. And it's yeah. like, well, I mean, that's not OK. I mean, that's sure. If that's what, what you, you're you're the one bringing that baggage to the theater. So yeah. that's fine. Um, But it's this is this is one of those things. But going back to Magnolia. Yeah, this this is this is such a it, it's funny because of the fact that. I, I find out I, I'm finding that some of these, some of the people like you and other people that I'm doing multiple movies with, the the movies that were some of the movies that we're doing are sort of interconnecting in really weird ways. I um, totally thought that I like I, I, I've been and, holding off on commenting <laughs> that, but as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh my god, this is perfect to follow up after we talked about Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's the weird. reason comes down to Frank Mackey's character. Oh yeah, like th- th- this is like another ex- uh, like examination of toxic masculinity. Yeah. So, and um, I mean, yeah, because Mackie is basically like an incel mo- motivational speaker. Oh yeah, with, with, with like, and yeah, he's he's like id fired up to eleven or something. Yeah, yeah. it's. Um, but it's it's so interesting because again, like you know, like I like I said, I've seen this one several times and. Uh, you know, like, like I said, I was showing it to my girlfriend for the first time, and it gets to, like, the introduction of Tom Cruise's character. Well, I mean, you saw him a little bit on the infomercial in the opening vignettes yeah. where you saw all, all the characters briefly. And she's like, what's this? I'm like, just, just give it a minute. And then they're playing, like, the 2001 music, and he just <laughs> motions at his junk and comes out with that the best opening line to yeah. introduce the character. And, and she's like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, you got to give it a minute. She's like, fuck this guy. I'm like, you got to give it a minute. I, she's like, I'm like, talk to me when the movie's over. Cause it's like, yeah. like, like he starts off like that, but then you start to kind of realize what made him that way. And yep. the interconnection he has with the other characters. And you're like, of course you grew up like that broken, you know, like, yeah. and, and then how you realize at the end when he's okay. Like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to focus and not be all over the place here. Cause I was earmarking several things that you were talking about there that I wanted to comment on. Like <laughs> when we were just going through this movie. So this is going to be a little like, you know, uh, stream of consciousness, but, uh, like at the, okay. At the end, cause you know, yeah, we're going to talk about stuff and ignore spoilers right. at the end when he's watching his father die, like that breakdown is one of the most genuine, honest, breakdowns and repressing of emotion and losing to that repression that I've ever seen committed to film. Mm -hmm. Like, like when he's just like, you know, kind of like he didn't want to come see him and he's, you know, of course it's like, Oh, the son's coming because it's the father's dying wish to see his son one last time. And they even comment on that. And I love how self-reflexive and aware the movie is where it's like, you know, like, Oh, this is that scene. It's a little trite, but this, but you know, they even say like, Oh, you would believe that doesn't happen if that was a movie, but these things do actually happen all the time. And even like, um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, when he goes, see, this is the scene in the movie where you help me, or it's even like literally calling attention to, okay, there we go. This is that (laughs) scene in the movie, which beautifully, if I remember correctly, kind of, uh, breaks the end of act one. I love how the movie's acts are broken up where they, they they sort Mm -hmm. of like, okay, we're in the first part. We're in the second part. We're in the third part. But when we're, when we get to, uh, Frank watching, his father die and just saying, I'm not going to cry for you and just desperately trying to hold it back. Yeah. I don't know what Tom was like thinking of when he was trying to channel that. I don't know what Paul talked to him when he was directing. I, I have no, I, I can't imagine how the preface for that moment before the camera rolled yeah. went. 
because it, it is so raw and honest. I'm watching it and it almost feels like it just happened. It doesn't yeah. feel staged. You know, I don't feel like that was in the script. I know it is. I've read this. Like, like I know it's there. Like, like I, it's, you don't feel like all oh, that was talked about. Of course it was talked about and discussed and, and rehearsed and staged, but it's like, it feels so organically yeah. honest that it's uncomfortable to watch. And that scene every time since the first time I saw it just breaks me. Like yeah. I, Mag- Magnolia is on my list of, if you put it on, I'm going to fucking cry. Like it just, it, like that, <laughs> that sequence makes me ball. But yeah. well, Okay, it's something I realized this time, Reba, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute because it's a different part. But uh, with with everything with uh, Cruz's character, with Frank, like how he breaks apart there and you finally see all the layers dissolving away of this persona that he was trying to be to the point that he literally changed his name because his name right. isn't, you know, his his name isn't Frank, you know, like yeah. he like he like he changed his name from what his father knew him as. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and. Like you start to see it a little bit after he had the interview uh, with a woman who like was like asking him about yeah. his his father and you know like well no we learned that your mother actually died and you know that whole thing where it ends with him saying I'm quietly judging you I gave you my time and then yeah. he goes back out to his his sycophants and like you know like oh you want to learn how to which is like literally especially it's interesting to watch it with uh, today's eyes and today's lens yeah. because like that is. Back then it was unacceptable, but now it's like that. This is like literally the poster child for how not to be as a man, but really just as a person. Because yeah. it's it's, oh, yeah. it's so it's so garbage. Like when when that one guy's like, she said she just wanted to be friends, and he pats her on the back and says, "I don't think there's one of us in the room that doesn't know all that kind of pain. We're gonna show you how to use my tools to get Denise to yeah. you know fall." And you're like, this this is. This is how stalkers and rapists are born. It's awful. But, yeah. but you know, like they play it with like this level of comedy, but you're like, this isn't funny, mm-hmm. but still Tom Cruise's character is so charismatic in how he does it. But like right then when he gets up after having that interview, just to, to have this, uh, to, to kind of like preach at them and get them all riled up. And he starts saying like, you know, men are shit. Yeah. And, you know, and then he, then he says, okay, hang on. You're going to go to your books. No, 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 no. Wait, you're gonna go to you're gonna go to your white books, and he like makes a mistake, which almost yeah. feels like like it, 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 with it, it's like a, a like a one take, and it almost feels like he forgets his line. Yeah. When he says the wrong, he's like, "Go to your blue books." No, no, wait, go to go to page fifty-two or whatever he says mm-hmm. in your white books, and you see he's like, "God damn it!" and gets mad at himself, turns, flips the flips the table, and he goes, "I want you to go to whatever page in your white books out of fake, like you were a nice and caring person or whatever that line is." <laughs> yeah. And you're like, and you're like. That is so literal that it's that it's mm. kind of brilliant that it's like, you know, what he's telling them to be is what he's like. He's really just showing the walls that he's built up around him of this persona of I want yeah. to be this person because who I actually am has experienced too much hurt. I'm not yeah. excusing his behavior at all. Like how oh, he no. is, is, is terrible. No, but the way that the, the way that those those layers fall off. And yeah. like, I, I mean, I look at his, his performance in this movie as a whole from like that arc beginning to end. It's like an onion. It just, it just, yeah. it just, it gets so much more complex to the end where he is just like a reduced sniffling, broken, utter mm. human. Yeah. And like, you know, and if you, when that movie starts, if you're like, I'm going to sympathize with Tom Cruise's character by the end, you're like, bullshit, but yeah. I dare you to not, I dare <laughs> you to not because it's done. So, it's it, it, his story is told so well, and it's like it makes you think. And they kind of do the opposite with some other characters like Philip Baker Hall, who you have sympathy for the whole yeah. time and then find out, wait, you molested your daughter? And then you're like, 
how did I feel for this character leading up to now? And you're ready to disown him, but it's like, but you still followed his story up to that. And it's like, yeah. it screws with your emotions, like almost on a breaking bad level of like mm-hmm. that kind of a character arc where you're like, depends on where you're introduced to a character and how they end up. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's such fascinating storytelling to me, but um, I mean, this movie, go, yeah, oh, I mean, go ahead. and this movie is all about, and this, this movie is all about broken people. It, it's all about yes. people who they can't make peace with, choices that they've made or choices other people made as a, for them to a certain right. extent and whether the victims to themselves or to yeah. other people's circumstances yeah and and the most heartbreaking thing i i think one of the most heartbreaking things about phil baker Holt's character is it's he doesn't say he you know he doesn't say i molested my daughter he doesn't, he genuinely has put a clout. He, what he says is, I don't remember if I did. Yeah, but it's and, like, that's, but, I mean, that's, you, but that's, the thing that's, is, that's basically enough. him giving, giving away, giving himself away. To, exactly. And the fact of the matter is, he's trying to, he's trying to repress what he did to his daughter to cause her to, um, to, Pull apart from them, right? And I mean, it's it's weird that it's interesting that all of these characters, all of the main characters, end up having this 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 thing that connects them, even though they don't necessarily not they don't necessarily know everybody. The game show is ultimately what connects them, yeah, because they're all connected to that in one way. Uh, exactly yeah. yeah like with, with you know earl partridge like you know uh, jason robart's character you like you know produced the show that yeah. jimmy gator philip baker hall like hosts that you know the kid is on that yeah. you know and like that you know this it's just it's yeah it's it's so beautifully interconnected and like i love that you said like it's it's just about broken people because that's actually how i described it when i told my girlfriend i was like hey we're gonna watch magnolia she's like well what's it about i go it's a very beautiful movie about very broken people. Yeah. That's all you need to know. I was, I was like, there is, and that it really, it, it really is like, it, it's, it's one of those, like I said, it just, it kind of hurts to watch like the, like yeah. those levels of interconnection and how, like, you know, like these circumstances, it kind of makes you think like, wow, whose life did I interact? Like, you know, like you cut <laughs> someone off in traffic or, you know, you're shitty to someone because like your order was late at, you know, at, uh, at the restaurant or, you know, like, or, yeah. or someone cuts you off in traffic and yell at them. It's like, but you don't know their day. It's like, you start to think about like all these little chance circumstances throughout your day. You're like, well, how is this interrelated? And it's like, we're really just all, you know, people trying to be happy and get by like breathing the same air in the same space and bumping into each other and sometimes causing catastrophe intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. And it's, it's like the movie really is kind of a beautifully, intimate expose on the human condition i think mm-hmm. and i uh like it's one that sort of it grows with me each time like like uh frank's character has always been a mainstay of like how i reacted to that like that from the beginning that that's yeah. only either stayed the same or grown over time but like i said i hadn't watched the movie in in several years and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like as, as you grow and you live, you know, like, you know, you're, you're a different person. You have different life experiences that you're going to bring to a viewing, whether or not, you know, the movie, like, you know, like you have different baggage, you're a different person. You've experienced different joys, different heartaches. And, you know, and sometimes 
I love it when a movie can kind of catch you off guard with a reaction that I'm like, I've seen this like a hundred times figuratively, not literally, but like mm. that I, but I've never had that reaction before. Yeah. And you had commented on uh, how you weren't too into John C. Riley and Laura Walters characters. And I am really, really into it. I've always really just liked John C. Riley's character and his arc. And I've, I've loved their relationship. And like, you know, again, understanding how she is so damaged and broken. And I, I got a soft spot for, uh, for love stories with broken people, mm-hmm. you know, about, about like people like, like one of my favorite love stories, if this tells you anything about me as a person is leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, you know, like it's like people that are just like so damaged and broken that they're actually perfect for each other, but they mm-hmm. can't save one another. Like, like I, I, I love that shit. Like I respond to it a lot. I don't know why, but I do. Yeah. And um, I, I kind of get that from their characters and that scene at the restaurant at the end, before we get to, not yet. We're not ready yet, but eventually we'll be talking about the raining frogs. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but before, before that happens, when they're at the, when they're at the restaurants and, uh, she comes back after running to the bathroom to do some Coke and, uh, and tells him and kisses him. And she's like, I wanted to do that. And he's like, I'm glad and she, she says, now that you've met me, would you object to never seeing me again? I literally just started out of the blue crying, like watching mm-hmm. at this time. And I don't know why. Yeah. And there was something about like their, their date, and how, like, you know, how they they met, you know, wherever, like, you know, like the look on his face whenever he first sees her in the doorway, I've always responded to and how he wanted to ask her out. And then like his CB radio going off, giving him away and causing him to, well, I have to go back yeah. up to the door. And that, that almost like hesitant, like, yes, please leave. But also, yes, I want to do this. Why didn't you ask me before? I thought you were flirting with me. Like when he asked her out a date, she's like, how about tonight? Because it's like almost if you have time to think about it, you won't, you'll realize I'm too damaged and you won't want it. So it's like, you know, it's almost like do it now, rip the bandaid off. Right. And, th- and then at the end of that, she's like, now that we've done this, I have to end it. And it's like, it hurt so bad. And I was so into that moment of them at the restaurant that yeah. I just broke. And that's before we get to, to Frank's scene with the, with his father. So I went into that crying and double broke. So like that, that, and that had never happened to me. I'd never had that reaction to that. And I, I started thinking about, because um, a friend of mine put a, uh, put a uh, thing on Facebook recently. He's like, Hey, all my friends sound off on your favorite uh, music moments from movies, whether it's score or, or needle drops. And, you know, I of course responded with a laundry list of, well, how about this and this and this and this and this? Cause I was like, you screwed up. You shouldn't ask that when I'm your friend. So, um, and I realized that one of the first ones I put on there was uh, the ending shot of Magnolia, mm-hmm. uh, which at some point we got to talk about Amy Man's songs in this. But anyway, um, uh, like when it ends one save me and it's that that single slow push in of John C. Riley coming to talk to her yeah. and uh, Jim coming to talk to her. And, and, he, and I was trying to remember his character's name for a sec when uh, and he you don't really hear everything that he says because the, the, the soundtrack is turned up loud enough that you only catch part of the words, but it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. we're just hanging on her expression yeah. leading up to that brief fourth, fourth wall, like look and smile break before we cut to the credits. Mm-hmm. Like that song choice with that moment is one of the most beautiful heartfelt ending shots I've ever seen in a film. And yeah. that, and I realized that it's because I love that ending shot so much. That's what made that, that restaurant scene work like mm-hmm. so much more for me this time, because I think I was recently thinking about that ending and, you know, telegraphing where it was going to end up. There, there was just those two characters really, really, really work for me, but at the risk of being all over the place, I, I cause I don't want to forget. You mm-hmm. mentioned one thing that is probably my favorite thing about the film. <laughs> um, 
this is the movie that made Julianne Moore my favorite actress. Yeah. I love her. I think she's every ounce of the definition of the word brilliant. And I, I, uh, this, I mean, like she's great in everything. Like even mm-hmm. in shitty movies, she's great. Yeah. But like in this, in this movie, I, I don't know, like just, just, uh, from, from the moment that she walks in and you get that beautiful, like, drifting shot of her brushing her hair back to, to kiss her dying husband on the forehead before she goes out to every interaction with the lawyer and her yeah. guilt of she's cheated on someone. She's like, I never loved him, but I've fallen in love with him now and I have guilt and I don't yeah. want his money, which is like one of the most heartbreakingly honest, selfish things. You're like, oh, mm. that's kind of a garbage thing to admit, but also yeah. you're kind of a good person for admitting it because you're like, I don't want this. You're not, you're not bad. You really mm. do love. And so it's like her, that arc of love, which we're denied of, we're only catching her on the tail end. So yeah. you try to think about her whole life leading up to that. And that breaks me thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that like she started at one part and ended up, this is the end of her arc to the point where she's suicidal because she can't deal with it. But like when she's yeah. going to the pharmacy and, you know, they're just judging her. And like, honestly, I wanted her to get an Oscar for that. When I, when I first saw the movie, that old part where she's like, she's like, you call me lady, you can suck my dick. You know, like, like her just going off on the pharmacist. I was, I was like that. This is the best scene I've seen from, from 1999. Like yeah. I, I loved her performance in this. Um, and it, it has, it has held up with me. Like I was, I was kind of intrigued when you were saying like, you remembered it a little more rose colored and fondly, but right. like, I, I, I think that she is like, uncomfortably brilliant in this mm-hmm. movie um but yeah like like i'm gonna let you talk because i've been rambling for a minute no, here, but, like, but, but, but like all, all these all these little bits like it's hard for me to really because it's like it's like all these little short vignettes that are, are kind of beautiful in their own right and you're right some of them are more intriguing than others because yeah. as much as like one time i'll watch it and i i won't be as much into like you know the the, the kid on the contestant show like you know I, i'm blanking on his character's name i'm terrible Thanks. right now Stanley, thank Stanley. you. Like I, I like there are times where I watch it and I'm just not into Stanley's story. But then this time I was like, oh, I was really into it. The stuff with him yeah. and his dad. I was like, oh. And it, I, I, I like you know thinking about how that pro- that enhances uh, William H Macy's character because we're basically seeing a grown up Stanley right. there. You know, like it's 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 got such interesting layers and beautiful character development that it's like uh, it's hard for me to pick a favorite one. Like honestly, I. I'm shocked that he crammed this down to three and a half hours because yeah. it's like, there's so much going on that like, if I try to think about like this, if it had been like, I mean, don't, I love it as a film and it's beautiful the way it is, but imagine like if it was like a Netflix series and you could do like a 10 hour story of this, mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, like, like oh, flesh God. it out. Like, and I remember um, on the behind the scenes thing, uh, have you seen the documentary that's on the, on the Blu-ray? I've With, not. It's, it's actually pretty good. It's like a, like a little over an hour, but it's pretty in depth. But it's like, when he's talking about the writing process, he's like, he's like, so I went and showed it to Bill Macy and he read it. He goes, shit, Paul, this is really long. And he goes, I'm not fucking changing anything. And he goes, and then, <laughs> then I showed it to the next person. They're like, Paul, this, this is a really long strip. He's like, I'm not fucking taking anything out. And like, you know, he was just like, he's like, we're making this movie just like this. So it's, you know, I, 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 I respect that there was like this, there's no moment in the movie that I don't feel like I'm watching like a singularly definitive vision. Like I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, like, yeah, I, I, I slightly worship the ground that Paul Thomas Anderson walks on. I'm mm-hmm. curious to hear what you think of the rest of his films. We'll get to that later. But yeah. like, I, 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 I really feel like this was, he knew what he wanted. He knew what he was doing and, and it doesn't work for everyone. I remember oh, yeah. 
I said I was going to let you talk, but like, let me get this one thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, like, I remember um, back in the day, like, I, I caught a couple times going to see uh, Kevin Smith, like, do his stand-up, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, pre-clerks to post Jay and Silent Bob and Jersey Girl. I don't remember. But anyway, I remember he came to IU whenever I was there. And um, he was talking about how much – I forget what, but it, it, I actually think it's on one of his DVDs that he recorded, like, uh, where he talks about how much he hated Magnolia. He's like, this movie's fucking garbage and just, like, kind of ripping it apart and everything. And, like, everything he's making fun of, I'm like, oh, you're funny and I like you the jokes you're saying, but also I love that movie. And so it's like it either is going to work for you or it doesn't. Yeah. So th- this, this is on a list of if, if someone doesn't like it, I'm not going to go out to try to convert them to be like, I think you need to agree with my opinion because it's like it really is either going to work for you. It doesn't. It right. just really, really works for me. Yeah. There's somewhere I'm like, how can you not like that? But if someone's <laughs> like, I don't like Magnolia, I'm like, I disagree with you, but fair enough. So, so, so I will, I will just simply say this as far as Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, other work. I, I, I think what it boils down to is I think when he's, when he's focusing in on a handful of characters, I think he is absolutely one of the great filmmakers ever. Not even just of our time, just ever. Like I okay. love how in There Will Be Blood, he basically made a two-and-a-half-hour epic that focuses in on two people and the collision of two people. I think that is fascinating what he does. Now, granted, there yeah, are other characters in that movie. It's all sure. about those people. And then Pink oh, no. Pink Love, yeah. you, have the, you have this relationship between Adam Sandler and Emily Watson that's just beautiful. You have other characters that fill in around him, around them, but it's ultimately about those two people. The Master's the same way. Fam Thread is the same way. Uh, mm-hmm. I still have not seen Inherent Vice, so that's why I'm not including it here. That um, would be an intrigue. I would, uh, on a personal note, I'd be intrigued to hear your thoughts. I've watched it once, and I was like, I think I'm going to love this movie in time. I need to revisit <laughs> it later. So like, I've, I've held off judgment. It was one of those where I'm like, I didn't dislike it. I didn't yeah. love it. I really think in time that one might be like to grow quite fun, but I like uh, there will be blood and phantom threat, especially. Yeah. I really, really love. Um, so I like, I love, I love the master quite a bit too, but like yeah. not as much as those other two. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Um, as far as this, this particular film, what you said as far as, you know, how different experiences and over time things change in your life. You are not the same person from when you first, watched it and that's definitely the case with me i've been through some pretty heavy shit over the course of my life and to the point where i mean hell not even a year after magnolia not even barely even six months after magnolia came out like my i basically watched my grandfather pass away from cancer and i mean that was that was a powerful um, experience for me because yeah. of the fact that it meant not only did because of the fact that how much he meant to me as an individual but just the experience of like I my other grandparents had passed away but I wasn't like on the front lines for it the way I was with my grandfather and yeah. that was but it was still really important for me to go through that experience so it's interesting. I, I'm curious how I would have felt about this movie, like even a year later, having been through that experience 
Oh yeah. How I will have felt about this. I might have even I might have even realized no no this is a better movie than you thought was at first. Uh close, sooner. But yeah, I mean it's and I will say this about Julianne Moore. I agree with you. The scene where she's with the lawyer is just amazing. Mm-hmm. And the scenes at the end where she's you know, the pharmacy scene, I'm not as... I feel like it's maybe a bit overplayed, but at the same time, it's still really good scene with her. Um, I... And basically, and her fate, the fate of her characters uh, is in the movie is really interesting how, how that all happens and where her character's left and the way that all of these characters are left and... One of the things that's really interesting about the scene with the lawyers that so much of her or, or so much of her as far as her guilt, but he's saying it's like, look, you can you can, you know When you he said you can renounce the will? Yeah, you can renounce the will, but everything will go frank and he's and she's like, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. It's like and she doesn't know all of this stuff that's been going on between yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jason Robards, uh, the character of Stanley, uh, Stanley and his father, uh, you you brought them up. This was probably, in this rewatch, I think this, coupled with uh, Tom Cruise's arc in the movie, was probably the thing that floored me the most in this re- in this watch and I oh, no, I, I, yeah th- this this time it stuck with me more than it normally does too i mean i'm yeah. sure not you know in the same way as you but like yeah like i i i had a similar thing where i was like oh that i haven't been into that storyline as much in the past <laughs> yeah and i the the reason for that is the scenes where he is how how much he is stressing out on the set of the game show when he has to go to the bathroom Mm-hmm. embarrassed to he he's embarrassed to say what he needs to do and he or no he says he wants to go bathroom but they're recording filming so obviously it's like he can't really go because we're, yeah. we're yeah and he yeah and he's and all he, like you know like, well you know yeah, we, we we just do what you expect of us. You know, we're kids. We're supposed yeah. to know the answers. I don't want to be the one to always know the answers. Yeah. Why do I have to do? I don't want to be the one to go up there. How is that okay? And like, like that, that kid's performance is kind of uncanny. Like, yeah. like just, just the little subtleties of how he goes from sort of like soft and innocent to angry to mm-hmm. scared. Like it's, it's, it's beautifully nuanced. Like well, I, well, the thing that I made a point of, and it, it's such, it's a painful example of, it's and it's a brilliant example. It's probably one of the best examples I've ever seen in a film of a character shutting down through anxiety and the pressure of everything that's that's being put on him from the other kids, from the people running the game show, from his father. Just he basically gets to a point where he he has to shut down. He's so anxious, and it's like as somebody who has dealt with anxiety over the years. It's like, I completely get that. Yeah. Like that is in the way he plays is amazing. And it was one of those things. And I, you know, we, I will say one of the things I was not, I feel like after that big, that big 
those big moments with him on the game show, I feel like I feel like Anderson kind of forgets those characters exist and for to a certain extent near the end. And it's really kind of disappointing because I don't feel like we get a really I I, yeah, I the, like the, so there's there's the a lot of stories take precedent. Yeah, the, oh no no, and I noticed that this time. I, I don't disagree with you there. Like, there's a lot of open ambiguity because uh, what was the last we saw? Phil Baker Hall, yeah. frog fell, the gun went off, he shot a uh, like the power outlet, and it started to smoke, and we didn't see again. Yeah. Did the house burn down? Did he die? Did he live? Did we, like, do, do we know anything there? Yeah, we. Uh, Stanley and his his last little interaction with his father. You need to be nicer to me, but we don't know what happens there. Like. Yeah. Uh, we get a hint that uh, Frank is probably going to go visit Julianne Moore's character. Why? Just, oh my God! I'm I literally <laughs> Linda. That's right. Yeah. Um, like that he's you know like you get the idea that he's probably going to go visit her and there's going to be some kind of awkward something there. We know who lives, but yeah, like there's there's uh we we get the uh, the chance for redemption and hope for uh, William H Macy's character, but like you know we we don't get. Uh, Everything's uh, everything's not wrapped up in a nice little bun. Yeah. But uh, also, speaking of William H Macy's character, it hit me a lot harder than it normally did. But his whole like I, I actually I've always loved the whole bit like the irony of you know he he his parents stole his money and he didn't know what to do with his celebrity and he's <laughs> like you know like so he keeps jumping around and he's working with I always forget that Alfred Molina is his boss. I'm like, it's yeah. okay, Doc Ock, what's up? And also, you know, this, that, <laughs> it made, I'm sorry, I just kept waiting for firecrackers to start going off like that scene in Boogie Nights. But anyway, <laughs> um, but that whole scene where he's, he's talking to, to him and his brother, and he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I need oral surgery. I need corrective oral surgery. Like, Donnie, your teeth are fine. Yeah. And he's, uh, uh, but he has this idea of like, he wants to spend money on this thing because he wants to impress this bartender yeah. guy that he has a crush on. And then, you know, like when you see that he has braces, you're like, oh, that's what he wants to. It's like, you don't need braces. You're teeth perfect until he has a bit of conscious, uh, like a, a moment of consciousness, a uh, crisis of conscious and goes and tries to climb that pole to get back in to take the money back yeah. and falls on his face. And all of a sudden it's like, well, now you need braces. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, like, I, I've always loved that arc, but that whole scene in the bar where mm. he's, uh, um, uh, like where he's kind of going back and forth. Uh, like to, to get um, why am I blanking on his name? The bartender's uh attention. Yeah. Uh, with yeah, the yeah. Anyway, uh, older guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Henry Gibson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which speaking of which, it was weird watching this movie. I realized, oh, how many of you are no longer with us? Because I was like, oh, Jason yeah. Robards. Oh, Henry Gibson. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I just kept getting sad. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. But yeah, like when he's like that whole sequence where he's talking with Henry Gibson. Uh, you know, and like vying for uh, the bartender's affection is like and he, when he's walking, he's like, he's like, I love you, Brad. That's he goes, Brad, the bartender. I love you. He's like, I'll be good to you and everything. And he keeps saying, like, I have love to give. I just don't know where to put it. And like, you know, that whole like it's not dangerous to confuse children with angels. Like it's like that scene was really heartbreaking this mm-hmm. time around. Like, I mean, I've always thought that that was like, oh, that was a really kind of beautiful, dramatic moment. But it was just extra sad. And um not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I, I really started paying attention to some background details that I hadn't noticed before and starting to think about like, and this eventually I think could lead us to the frog talk uh, whenever <laughs> we're ready. But um, 
the you know like they keep bringing up uh which you know we kind of talked about a little bit in uh uh like you know with the idea of like you know religion and you know like what is god and everything like in fight club but uh they keep bringing up i think was it exodus 8 2 or something in this is it, like is you know uh and the kid remember remember the kid that uh, john c Riley's talking to and he does that rap on the streets oh yeah yeah i, I remember reading something i I don't know if it's something Paul Thomas Anderson said or someone's analysis, but they're like, if you listen to the lyrics of what he's rapping, he literally tells you everything that's going to happen in the rest of the movie. Like it's like, it's like the entire movie condensed. And it's like, you know, saying like, if it's worth, um, if it, if it's worth hurt, it's worth bringing pain in and something, something God brings the rain in or something. And it's like Exodus, I think eight, two, because I looked it up afterwards is something about, I I don't know scripture, but it was something about like, uh, the rain of frogs, which Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, well that ties to that. But then I started noticing there's a shit ton of 82s hidden in the movie. Have you ever caught that? No. Uh, do you remember the very beginning whenever there's uh, the um, – whenever the narrator is giving the, the – uh, and then there's the case of Del Mar or whatever. Like, you know, you get Patton Oswald like up in the tree when he's mm-hmm. scuba diving. Yeah. And like, you know uh, – and then when it does the part where the kid is jumping off the roof before yeah. he gets shot with by, by his mom as he falls by their window, when it's doing that push-in on him – there are vines on the left that are kind of creeping up the side of what the, the step that he's on the edge of the building that are mm-hmm. making an eight and a two. So it's oh, like, wow. and I started noticing that there's all these little, and I was like, wait, is that the, and then when they brought that up later, I'm like, Oh shit, he's literally telegraphing it through the entire movie of what's <laughs> going to happen. But it, but it's like, it's one of the, like, I love whenever I can find a movie where there's like shit that I didn't notice before. And it's like, Oh, there's something new to take away. There's something new to take away. It's like that replay value of yeah. why didn't I catch that before? I probably could have gotten on the internet and read someone else had caught it and then it pointed <laughs> out to me. But the fact that I'm like caught it on my own, it was, it's, yeah. it's, I love little moments like that. Oh yeah. And, and, and that's, that's one of the, that's one of the great things about a movie like this. Even, even if I'm not the biggest fan of it, it's like, I can still admire that watching this, watching this movie more than once, I, I feel like I'm going to get, a different experience i'm gonna get a deeper experience and i mean that is that is the thing that i appreciate about uh paul thomas anderson as a filmmaker because of the fact that even if i'm not a big fan of uh you know this or boogie nights or something like that i there's definitely a the work of a filmmaker with something to say and yes it's it's something to say about humanity and even even if it's not something i'm particularly interested in hearing at the time i i will eventually grow to appreciate it a bit with uh you know just revisiting it and that's that's and just this this talk it makes me want to watch magnolia you know sometime in the near future again just yeah to, just to see all of these different things and well, it's like how it hits oh, me this sorry. time. Yeah, it's like I, I, uh, it's it's weird. It's like I, again, I just watched it Saturday, but like talking with you, like I almost want to revisit it again. And I like I like you, like I just watched it because I, it's one of those where I'm like, I know it's near and dear to my heart, but I always forget how much I love it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, like you were saying earlier, like we like we both said, you know, like we're at different points in our life when you revisit something. I mean, when I fell in love with this movie and like I said, like it was kind of a love at first sight with this film. I mean, I was, I was 18. I was a child 
Yeah. You know, and like now I'm like, I'm in my late thirties. And you know, this is like, I like, like you were talking about, like we, we've both had a lot of life experiences and are different people. So watching that with the same lens is really not possible. You know, oh. I can't just like how I did this. So like, you know, like me and I've, I've had that happen with movies and it sucks. Cause it's like, it's like a bad breakup, you know, kind of where like, you know, Oh man, I used to love this movie. And then you watch it and you're like, <laughs> Shit, why did I like that? And like, you know, you kind of remember it like like ones that I'll, I'll dig up a movie that, you know, just gets re-released on Blu-ray that has been like out of print forever. And then I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that since I was in college. I remember loving that movie. And I'm like, yeah, my taste has changed. What was I thinking? Yeah. But, you know, like, but then there then there's ones that's like, I, I guess what I kind of what I'm trying to say, like you said, like with Paul Thomas Anderson, he's a filmmaker that has something to say when you watch his stuff. I agree with that. And I'm also going to tack on he's a filmmaker whose work I can grow with yeah. because I loved it at 18 and I love it for different reasons. Like in my thirties, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's, it's something that, which to me is sort of the definition of timeless where like, it's like you can experience this, you know, at different stages in your life as, as a human and respond to different things. There's stuff that I, in this movie that I didn't emotionally understand when I was that age, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, this is that, but I'm like, I didn't know, you know, like like some of the loss and the heartache that some of the characters experience. Have I experienced everything they've gone through? No, of course no. not. But <laughs> a lot of that, I'm like, yeah, I, I I get why. Like certain character moments and reactions, or maybe before you're like, oh well, why was that? Oh, that was probably just because the script needed to. You're like, no, that's that's a normal reaction. I get why they did that. I get mm-hmm. I get why that I get why they had to leave the room. I get why they were mad at that person. Where it's like for whatever reason, like Julian Moore, I remember. You know, while I don't have the personal life, you know, checkpoint reference for this, I remember always thinking it was sort of a little, well, she, she's a crazy person, even though I loved her performance whenever she <laughs> made, whenever she made um, Philip Seymour Hoffman hang up the phone, right? When he's about yeah. to get Tom, like, uh, Frank on the phone. And, you know, she's like, this is between us and the family. You don't do that. And then later when she's apologizing for slapping him, yeah. I was like, I was like, is she bipolar? Is she crazy? And then, and now I'm like, I totally get it. Like what? Like not because of my life experiences, but just like perspective. And as an adult, I'm like, no, I, I completely get why she had that reaction. Right. Uh, with with what I understand of her character going through and how people are when they react to certain situations. And sometimes, like like it, it's just it gives perspective. And mm-hmm. I like that. I like that he is a filmmaker that I can grow with because there there's like a, a startling level of maturity in his work. Yeah. Um. I mean, like even even for me, even Boogie Nights, like you know, like because like I said, I ran it because I was like, "This is movie about porn. Let's check it out." But like, I'm, there's there's a lot of deep shit that's happening in that movie. Yeah, and it's it's, it's beautiful. It was weird, um, total left field. But there's this this series that I just finished watching on Netflix, which I was a really big fan of, called The Naked Director, which is about a uh, it's a like an eight episode series about um, like in the 70s and 80s about uh, the Japanese porn industry and this revolution based on true story about this revolutionary director that changed the adult film industry over there. And mm-hmm. I was watching I was like, Oh, this is like boogie nights in Japan. And it really is. <laughs> and that's all I could think is I'm like, this, this is, this is like overseas boogie nights. But, uh, mm-hmm. but that's, that's sort of like the comparison for like, I find myself a lot of times thinking, Oh, this is like something, something boogie nights. Oh, this is something, something Magnolia. Oh, this is sort of like a, you know, like what, you know, trying to do what there will be blood did better. Like, and I'm thinking uh, just Paul Thomas Anderson is just a damn great storyteller yeah. is really what it comes down to for me. <laughs> uh, I, I did want to bring up uh, one thing you, 
we we haven't said the line because it you know if you've seen Magnolia you know the line that we're talking about when it comes to Tom Cruise's character it's basically his his mantra to his uh oh yeah his, his, his introduction I, I I know that we 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 <laughs> were allowed salty language on your podcast but I was hesitant to throw that one out oh no that's that's perfectly fine I will say uh, are you have you been are you a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, I, I I have a pretty stacked nerd card, but that is one hole that I've never punched, and I tend to get made fun of a lot because people are like, "Jake, you would love it." I have never seen it. Oh, I've seen right. I've seen there was a class I took in college, and we watched the musical episode. That's all, literally okay. all. I, it's okay. just the musical episode. So, so, like, I'm aware of it. I've never watched it. It's right. on my sometime I need to sit down and watch it list. Okay, but and and it's funny that you bring up that you watched the musical episode because. In the musical episode, there's a very <clears throat> subtle there's a very subtle riff on Frank Mackey's mantra that Tom Cruise gives to the character of Xander. It's it's oh, very I didn't funny. Catch that. Okay. Um if if you ever watch again, if you're a fan of if if you're a fan of the musical episode, um when Buffy is walking into the magic shop shortly before they start like the group uh, song where they're trying to figure out what exactly is causing everybody to sing in the town. There's yeah, I, I remember. Sly, I remember the scene. Vaguely. There's a very sly and subtle reference to Tom Cruise's mantra in that movie, in that scene. So okay. <laughs> Uh, you'll you'll pick it up if if, okay. if you're looking at you'll you'll pick it up pretty quickly, and it's it's not it's not really well. I won't I won't spoil it, but yeah. If you oh no 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 you're good. It's it's uh it's it's really kind of funny actually, and that was one that I definitely picked up on. Uh, when and I mean because of the fact that it's like even 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 somebody like me who was not necessarily a big fan of. Magnolia at the time, I I certainly remembered, you know the the mantra Frank Mackey has, and so that was bouncing around my head when I watched the musical episode. And so yeah, it's it's pretty easy to see, but it's it's a pretty funny moment there. So I did oh, okay. Yeah, I did I'm gonna have that to check that. Out. Um, I the moment where. I will say the moment where Jason Robards, we haven't really talked about him in this movie. He is like all of the performances in here are ultimately really fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, 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 they range from They range from really good to great to masterclass. There's yeah. really not anything where you're like, well, you missed the bar there. Like ever, like oh, some yeah. of them are slightly more perfect than others. So. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the moment where he's trying to remember, with Philip Seymour Hoffman really yes. really stood out to me watching it this time around. Hey, are you talking about the, that part when he's like, he's like, this is so goddamn boring when he's like, he's like when he's trying to remember and he's like, this is so boring and he can't yeah. remember. He's like, he's like, this, this is pathetic. I'm laying here trying to remember. And then he just remembers. <laughs> it. Yeah. It's so beautifully nuanced. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so natural. It's like, mm-hmm. it's almost weird. Cause I'm like, I'm like, Oh, Jason, you were one of the greats, and we don't have you anymore. But it's yeah. like I almost felt like I'm like he wasn't actually dying when they filmed that scene. It was because it feels so uncomfortably no, no. real. 
Like, yeah. like, I mean, like, 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 it doesn't feel like he's acting. Yeah. It, it's, it's such good acting that I don't feel like he's acting. <laughs> right. No. And, uh, going, going back to Cruz's performance. I mean, we talked a lot about Cruz already at the beginning of the movie, but I, the, this, this might be sort of the most accidentally revealing performance of Cruz's career. Like when he's talking about his, his philosophy that he's imparting in the interview, like I couldn't help, but think that I couldn't help, but think of him talking about Scientology that way. Oh yeah. No, no. I couldn't help think about that. Or, or, or like, like him interviewing Katie Holmes to like be, be like his wife or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, like it's sort of like, Oh, this is, is art imitating life or the other way around? Because yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's such a vulnerable raw thing, you know, where it, mm-hmm. it yeah, I, I, I kind of thought that too a little bit. I'm glad you brought that up. But yeah, the way he, the way that, the way that persona that he's built up for himself really just breaks down through the course of that interview and then you're right, the scene after that, when he goes back out and tries to continue on with his 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 pep talk. Mm-hmm. And but he but 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 he's de- but he's kind of derailed it. a little bit. Yeah. He's like flying one one engine so he's too. So yeah, rattled he's... about it. And yeah. um because by in in between that time he's also you know, they've also gotten a hold of him. They his his assistants have at least told him that his father's nurse, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, is trying to get a hold of him. Yeah. And so that rouses him a little bit further. Right. And uh, it's it's just the way Cruz... Like, Cruz is really one of the most underappreciated actors. It's like, I, I feel like with... Especially with movie stars of that level, they... Somebody like Cruz, and I was talking about when uh, I talked about Payback earlier in this series with Mel Gibson. Like, both mm-hmm. of those guys are just really underappreciated as actors. And right. Be- well, because when you get so big, I think it's hard for an actor of that caliber, and I put Brad Pitt in there, too, to escape yeah. their own celebrity. You know? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, when you see him, it's it's hard to, like, oh, well, I see... Mel Gibson or I see Tom Cruise or I see Brad Pitt. And when you really realize that they're disappearing into a role, it's sort of like, Oh, but, but the thing with Cruise, which I'm going to put above the other ones we mentioned that I think is like, he kind of works against is what is the first thing you think of when you think of Tom Cruise? Like we, we could sit here and we could be like, you know, Oh, well like Magnolia or eyes wide shut or interview the vampire. But let's be honest. What's the first thing you think of? You're like, Oh, probably mission impossible or yeah. the mummy or like, you know, or whatever was the most recent blockbuster thing that came out that you it's like, he's sort of like, he's like such a big star that you think of him as like the action blockbuster guy. You're thinking of, the dude that how old is he now that is still doing his own stunts and like yeah. on the last mission impossible literally broke his foot yeah. in a shot and kept going and they used that take in the movie where he's limping off mm-hmm. with a broken foot because it just got the bone popped out it's like he's 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 that guy he's like he's a daredevil grab life by the balls and whatever but it's like then you forget you can do these really beautifully uncomfortably real and honest performances Oh, that, absolutely. That they disappear into because so I completely underappreciated. I absolutely agree. When people are like Anton Cruz, I'm like, mm, you got to give him the respect. 
Like yeah. you, you, you can say whatever you want about his personal life or whatever, but I'm like, as an artist, I'm like, you don't fight me on, on how oh, yeah. good he is. You don't, don't even try with me. No, absolutely. Or, and yeah, I would, I don't know. I think Brad Pitt's giving him a run for his money, but the thing with Brad Pitt, Lately, I feel yeah. like, I, I feel like Brad Pitt, he still keeps his, he doesn't, he hasn't quite gotten into the, blockbuster realm quite in the same way tom cruise has I no mean, actually it's weird it's weird i was thinking how does he never how has he never had like a franchise the closest thing you could say would be like when he did world war z and let's just not count that but yeah. like <laughs> but you know i mean really he could have been doing like i mean when you think of brad pitt you're like how have you not done like uh, a superhero movie or something i'm not saying he should it's just like right. You know, like, yeah, but, you know, Tom Cruise is doing, well, not superhero stuff, but, you know, yeah, he's, mm. he, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's that, that big name on the marquee, you know, like, yeah. I remember, like, seeing, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this year, I'm like, yeah, it's like, we need more Brad Pitt and more movies, please, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is, it's like, film actors like Brad Pitt, I mean, I, I would, like there are a few performances of him his this decade I would say are some of my favorite performances I don't necessarily and it's weird because to a certain extent I wouldn't necess I don't know if I would necessarily consider Brad Pitt one of my favorite actors but he's given okay. enough great performances to where yeah I probably you should be looking it, at that yeah no 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 I, and I agree with you when I think of it like if I'm listing my favorite actors. Yeah, he's 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 not a name that perfectly comes to mind, but like you know, when I'm thinking, if you like, you name any of his movies, I'm like, oh yeah, I do love that one, and I'm like, yeah, 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 he, he's he's that's worth considering, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I mean I'd say the same thing about Tom Cruise. I mean again, like if I'm listing like my favorites, it's like yeah, there's there's the people I'm like I will go watch any movie that they're in, but I'm like, how often have I been like I'm not gonna go see this because either of them are in it because it's like they're two of the most consistently good. <laughs> Yeah, you can think of, um, or at least that I can. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it, and it's one of those things. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's just kind of amazing when you consider the chances Tom Cruise has had, or the chances Tom Cruise has taken as an actor, mm-hmm. and he's still a lot of managed that, I mean... to maintain being a movie star. Yeah, because you could think, like, if you did, like, you do, like, a Eyes Wide Shut or a Magnolia, it'd be like, well, are you really going to keep doing Mission Impossible? Oh, yeah, you did Mission Impossible 2 literally the year after, yeah. you know? And, like, you know, kept the box office coming. But then you, uh, I mean, come on. I, I, I watched it. It was not good by any stretch. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I was like, it was at least, I, I was a... Uh, yeah. I could have a drink and fall asleep to it and I wasn't bored. It just wasn't good. But the mummy, but that wasn't, that was, let's be honest, it was a train wreck, but then <laughs> literally bounces back with the best mission impossible film mm-hmm. that I've ever seen. Probably one of the best action movies I've ever seen. And one of the best films of the year in the sixth mission impossible movie, in my yeah. opinion. And I'm like, you know, normally come on anyone else that would have been like, yeah, you're not working again. Yeah, but not yeah. him. He's like, he's, he's like, never mind. I got the good. I got the ace up the sleeve. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and that's and and that's the thing that's so interesting about him. It's like he, the fact that he, he, he sort. It's almost like Mission Impossible gives him the luxury. 
the success, the sustained, the sustained success of the Mission Impossible movies just gives him the luxury to do essentially whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, because I mean, like, like, and even when I'm trying to think of like the middle of the road ones, like uh, Valkyrie did not do very well, did it? No. Yeah, and it's like, and that, and that actually, I think. If I'm not mistaken, I think that was sort of what led to him and Christopher McQuarrie yeah, like kind of was. becoming becoming friends and collaborators Cause, because cause I think that was that was uh, McQuarrie and uh, Brian Singer Brian Singer collaboration. Yeah, and then there was there was there was something I forget what, but there was some movie that Tom Cruise is on, and I remember he called up Christopher McQuarrie and said, "Hey, I need you as a favor to do a rewrite on the script that's got issues," and he just did, and then all of a sudden it's like, "Oh well, they're doing the best Mission Impossible movies." Yeah, have fun, guys. So it's like well, and they had done Jack Reacher too. They had done Jack yeah, Reacher. Yeah, which well. again, I always forget. I mean, geez, yeah, how many damn franchises are there? Like, I forgot yeah. about that one. <laughs> but um, no, you're absolutely right, and uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, we we could we could essentially like we're we've spent half of this podcast just talking about Tom Cruise. There's so much else to talk about, like. Yeah, and and that's the thing is like we could have like these links the discussions literally about any character. I mean, we've we've kind of touched on all of them, but we haven't really even gone into the nuances of. I mean, we kind of glazed over like a lot, but like you've got a. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like every time I think about well, well that storyline, I'm like, oh, that's one of my favorites. But then I start just thinking about like that beautiful, perfect opening of that framework of those stories that sort yeah. of set up like with that narrator's like, it is the humble opinion of this narrator that. This cannot be. These things don't just simply happen. No, it can't be that. Mm-hmm. But it does. And that's that's what I kind of love. It's like it's so meta that it's almost like throwing it in your face. Like, yeah, hey, you're going to say that this is like far fetched, but things like this do happen. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you 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 go out to dinner and you have a conversation with somebody and you realize that you've known each other forever. But like you have this like mutual acquaintance and all of a sudden like, oh, you're oh, crap, we're technically re- like related by marriage through so-and-so because you you're okay cool i i I mean that's that could that's kind of a far-fetched i didn't really fully connect it but the point is like these little chance circumstances about how we're all interrelated interconnected and like i said just bumping into each other and hoping for the least amount of possible chaos that happens you know and it's like you you read about some crazy news article of like oh how did that like that that opening about the, the the son that loaded the parent's shotgun because he knew that they were going to fight and he wanted to kill himself, jumped yeah. off the bridge. I mean, jumped off the building. The mom shot the shotgun. It killed him. And he would have lived if he hadn't been shot because of the care, the safety net down yeah. below. And so his mom was arrested for murder of her son. And her son was listed as an accomplice in his, uh, in his own death. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, if you saw that as a news article, you'd be like, yeah, right. But you see shit like that all the time. Mm. And it's like, this, I love that this movie is just so self-aware that it's not afraid to call attention to all that. Like I said, yeah. even so, as when he said, this is the scene in the movie where you help me or, mm. you know, like, and, and that's, I, I, I'm not trying to jump too far ahead, but that is why two of my favorite scenes in the movie, I will defend to my dying day. And mm. it, again, it's either you're going to be like, yeah, that worked for me or it didn't. But the bit where they're all singing the same song. Yeah. Sitting in the car. And it's like, you know, it starts off 
you know, where it's just, you think it's just a needle drop, you know, over the scene. And, you know, Melora Walters is sitting there like getting ready for her date with John C. Riley, mm-hmm. And she's, you know, just did some cocaine. And, uh, uh, was the song wise up, I think. Yeah. Amy was wise yeah. Up. yeah. Yeah. Like, and you like, it just starts playing and you think she's playing it on her radio, but then she starts kind of softly singing along to it and getting a little more into it. And then it cuts on the next verse to like the next character and each person picks up and it's like, Holy shit. Yeah, you worked a musical number into this. Yeah, I, like 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 you, the way I never would have seen that coming. But literally, there's a musical number in the third act. Well, mm. uh, I'm trying to remember if that would be the third act or the end of the second act because I know the movie's kind of broken up by weather. Jokes. Yeah, <laughs> um, which which we should talk about in a minute too. But like how they're they're uh, you know they're singing the same song and like like the idea of like all these people being on this similar wavelength literally sonically i think it's just very very beautiful and endearing and you'd be like oh well that that you can say that's coincidence too i would totally buy that like with with the narrative of the movie but then you have all of a sudden philip seymour hoffman's great line how do frogs fall from the sky (laughs) ignoring all the 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 that scripture reference and all the uh the signs to like you know like this catastrophic storm of and you know okay we have frogs falling from the sky you have just about my argument to people when they're like, what the fuck? They're frogs all from the sky. I'm like, think about all the chance and circumstance in this movie. This movie is literally about chance and circumstance yeah. and intersection and coincidence and influence upon like, you know, like you don't know. It's like the butterfly effect. You know, everything mm-hmm. affects everything. Yeah. And you have just about as much a chance as the, the, the extremes of these connections happening as what frogs falling out of the sky. It's almost like, Sure. Why not? I totally buy that. Mm-hmm. And it's actually interesting because I remember reading it's like a real phenomenon. I think like in the rainforest or summer or whatever, like, you know, like there'll be like uh, water spouts or, you know, tornadoes that'll pick up tadpoles and take them up to the clouds. And then they're really light and they sit there and hang out in, in mm-hmm. the clouds until they, they grow and become too heavy. And then they rain down. Now, they're not fully grown giant frogs to the degree that we get in this movie. Right. But this is just <laughs> not any. this is if anything of course it's about exaggeration for effect. And I, I remember thinking that that was just really kind of beautifully impacting. And this, what the hell is happening is what sort of culminates and bring these characters together. Jason Robards, character dies, keeps Philip Baker Hall from shooting himself in the head, literally brings the mother back to the daughter so that they can kind of like, you know, like, uh, reconnect as like, you know, as, as they're hiding, like, uh, causes, uh, William H. Macy to have to get braces brings uh, uh, John C. Riley's character to him, like for the sake of kind of giving him a second chance at redemption. Like it literally like that yeah. rain sort of what, which I think ties into that whole like verse is what cleanses all of them mm-hmm. in a weird way. Tom Cruise got his catharsis. He got, to, uh, he, Frank got to talk to his, his dad. The dad got to see him. Like literally it is uh, Linda OD, but like the, uh, the ambulance, you know, picked her up and got her there in time. Yeah. Like it, it literally, it literally cleanses all these characters mm-hmm. and gives them a second chance at a happier story in the movie that we don't get to watch. Yeah. And I think that that is hauntingly <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. I'll, I'll admit when I'll, I'll admit the, the, the rain of the rain of toads or the rain of frogs was one of those things where I, when even, even this time I'm like, what? the hell and but hearing, <laughs> that's, hearing that's you, an hearing, accurate reaction but the thing is it's like seeing all of those things happen now this time it's like oh okay i i see where 
I see where this is this is coming about. Um, I don't have as strong a reaction to that as you do, but I do appreciate the way he brings all, brings so many of these characters arcs to a, a different place and to a better place as they and the place where they need to. I get, would be the better way of playing it. Right. Um, I will say though, I I one hundred and ten percent agree with you on the wise up. Uh, the the wise up medley, or uh, with all of the characters singing that song. Yes, yeah. it's, it's probably one of it's without doubt one of the most emotional moments in the film. It's oh, absolutely. It's it's wonderful in seeing how connected these characters are with when it comes to the emotions that they're feeling. It's painful to feel that the, the emotions these characters are feeling in the moment. And it's just a beautiful song. It's, it's a combination. It's what makes the great musical moments in movie musicals so great. Yeah. Oh no no no! I I, yeah. I completely agree with you. Like it's uh, the fact that that is kind of a a bold and unpredictable choice to to all of a sudden shift to we're literally going to have that musical number there. That is the moment that that works. Right. Like I I can almost like just picture him as he's writing it. Like you know the temptation of yeah they're going to all sing this. You know <laughs> like 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 because it's like I need a moment that's sort of like a it's almost like a reprise, you know, like to like to like recap where all these characters are. And I'm again, because I know you said like, yeah, it, it does work for me a little more where they are literally before the storm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's like this moment of it's like, that's the, actually shit. I just figured, I just realized if we're going to be literal, that is the calm before the storm. That yeah. is, that is the moment. That is the moment before we've been having influences intersections, but at this point we are going to have a crash at the intersections. Like of everybody, like, you know, just this, this is, no one's going to be the same. Everything's going to be changed. And that it's like this beautiful, soft moment that they share, even though none of them are sharing the screen together. Yeah. With the exception of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jason Robarts, obviously like the, the, that was, which I think that's kind of interesting. That is the only one that where you get two characters singing at the same time. Yeah. Everyone else is sort of individualized. Mm. And uh, it's kind of curious to me to swing back for a second to Stanley that he ends it. Yeah. Because everybody sings a verse, but all he gets is give up at the end. Mm. He gets that line so just, and it cuts to him, give up, and then that slow, like, you know, shot of him. I think it was a pullback, if I remember correctly. But, like, you have a – between that and and – Oh shit, hang on. I'm going down a rabbit hole here. I don't really know what my point is because I'm realizing and figuring out something, but it's like that musical number ends with him, but so does the 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 Reign of Frogs. Yeah. Because it pushes in on it it pushes in on him up over that plant and he says, This is this happens. This is a thing that happens, and then the frogs start falling in slow motion. Yeah. I feel like I don't know why, but I, I there's some I don't I never caught it before, but there's gotta be some significance as to him ending both of those sequences because I feel like they're directly connected. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, his character his character almost feels like a he's not a narrator, but in a weird way, he's almost like a tie that binds, you know? Yeah. Uh I'm not sure if I can elaborate on that much more. That's just sort of what it feels like. 
Well, and it's funny because of the fact that you know you you brought up the uh, you brought up the opening where with all of the coincidences and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. The the narration in that, by the way, is by the amazing Ricky Jay, who mm-hmm. actually appears on screen in this movie. Is one of the uh, handlers in uh, at on the video game on the game show, and um, I mean that just sets the tone for the entire movie. Really, that entire introduction and him the just the way the way he's able to the way his his the intonation of his voice the way he yeah. projects his voice and just the abil- his ability to tell a story is in a way is one of the most pleasurable things I I think a filmmaker can add to a movie is uh, Ricky Jay. In in some capacity, and I mean, oh David yeah, Mamet, no, he's, he's, he's fantastic. Mamet for ever, and he worked with uh, Chris Nolan in Prestige, and he he's worked with Paul Thomas Anderson a couple of times. Um, yeah, well, you know, yeah, because he was in Boogie Nights too. Yeah, and uh, we we were talking about music. We were talking about Amy Mann's music. I I love the use of one is the loneliest number. At the beginning of this movie. Oh God, yeah, that's such, that's such a <laughs> great cover, and uh, yeah. yeah, the use of that, which, yeah, when you think about it, like really fits the movie and is a good initial tone to start on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, her music fits that so so damn well. Yeah, um, it really is. And I think, with the exception of one, like I think they were all original songs written for the movie, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you're probably right. But yeah, you know, like like yeah, when it first like cuts to black and you hear that first the first after the narration, you hear the prologue and you hear the first notes of one start and then the magnolia blooming and the title and then you get that little quick welcome to the jungle introduction of all the characters yeah. just set at like Yeah, he's 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 uh one of the better masters of the needle drop in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um but uh I mean, like her music tied into that, and thinking about how that ends with the first thing uh, after that intro, after one ends, you get a like whatever percent cloudy chance of rain. Like when you start getting all the title cards of, you know, what the weather's like, yeah. and then I think next one we get is going into the studio with Stanley with the game show, which at the time it's been outdone, but yeah, like you know when I'm breaking things up by like uh, uh, title cards, I remember thinking that 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 one or that continuous take that they do, like starting out in the rain up to then getting on the elevator and following him all the way up to like, you know, the, the game show before that first cut, yeah. I was like, Holy shit, that was a good take. <laughs> you know, <laughs> now I've seen, you know, uh, we, we, we've seen some, some very, how the hell did you do that stuff since then, which I keep, it's always interesting to see when that gets one up. Cause I'm like, Oh, that movie did it better. That movie did yeah. it better. Uh, like what is it, episode six of the haunting of hill house this past year i'm like no one's gonna beat that so <laughs> um yeah but but uh the weather because i kind of touched on that a little bit like I, i'm trying to figure out it's interesting because that culminates with the frogs and then it's almost like at the end it's like clear skies so yeah. it's like we're building towards this like almost like biblical storm <laughs> and then eventually like you know we get to clear skies which is this like idea of hope um, he has a lot of interesting narrative framing devices happening yeah. here. Yeah, it really does. And um, 
I, you know, and the thing is, I think the weather was one where it's like, I didn't really, I didn't really think about it so much rewatching it. I, I'm just like, okay, this is, you know, this, this, and I, I think I sort of tied it into com- the culmination of the, uh, ring of the, uh, frogs. But, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily think about that as a framing device, but yeah, it really, it really kind of is because it is this, everything is building to that scene. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the more interesting things. And although I, you know, and we talked about the music and Amy Mann's music is fantastic for this movie. Like yeah. The, the use of it is really fantastic. I, I will admit, like, I'm not, as much as I like John Bryan as a composer, I'm not a huge fan of the way the scores use. I feel like, to a certain extent, it's a little too insistent. It, it really uh, centers in on the melodramatic aspects of the movie. Oh, no, no. It's, it's, it's like, heavily, like, emotional. It's not subtle. But, like, you know, like, a lot of the stuff in the... Um... Like for instance, that sequence I was talking about with that with that continuous take, like leading up to the game show, yeah. like that first time that Stanley goes there, I thought that bit of score was really great. The score leading up to the frogs at the end, where like uh, basically where uh, Frank is crying over his father dying, when he's like, "I'm not going to cry for you," and he's just like clasping his hands and fighting yeah. for it. The way that that swells is, come on, like like that that I was like, that is that is a perfect culmination of shot direction script performance yeah. or like like the score right there is actually part of what breaks me just mm-hmm. the way that that swells when he's crying and it and that that how it sort of changes notes on that transition when he's like he's like he's like i'm not gonna cry for you you cocksucker and then he says he then then he, he starts just crying he goes no and then he, and then he says don't leave me and he like the way that he dovetails from yeah. i hate to don't go <laughs> that he's not ready to say goodbye when he's like i hate you but please don't go like the score, like kind of finessing that scene is a large part of what hits me. Like I'm kind of getting chills thinking about it right mm. now. So while I don't disagree with what you're saying, I got to give it props to there are moments where it is uncomfortably effective, Yeah, but it's not subtle. You're right. It, <laughs> it, it, it does kind of play into melodrama. Like I've got the, uh, I've got the, the soundtrack and it's like, it's a half score, half Amy man's yeah. songs. It's like a double album, but like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one that I like to to go and and visit every once in a while, but it always just makes me want to watch the movie. So, yeah, I I think one of the things that I I think one of the things that sort of kept this film at that might have kept me this film at arm length for me the first time around, and I kind of noticed mm-hmm. it this time around was it it really feel to a certain extent it. There, it feels like there are more montages than scene developed scenes. We get the characters developed, but I don't necessarily feel like the scenes are, to a certain extent, some of the scenes are not fleshed out in the way that you would kind of hope for a streamlined narrative. I mean, it's not a streamlined you're, narrative, but, right, but you're, you're not where, wrong. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, it's it's a it's an unusual narrative it's an it's an unusual storytelling device on anderson's part it's very actually i I got an interesting thought on that it's very um at least i think it's interesting i'm not saying it will be but like i i think uh i think that you're right 
It is. It is interesting because in in a unique way of portraying things because it is very montage or like I was like or I'd say even vignette based where yeah. you just get like little glimpses yeah. and everything. But I noticed something this time where I was kind of because I really got hooked on or pointed uh, pointed towards that musical number like like that it stood out more than it ever has and I've always loved it. I was like that's. If, if I'm ranking probably like my favorite scenes or sequences in a movie, like in movie history, I probably on some list at some point would include that one. Yeah. I, and I realized we were thinking about the score and like, you know, like I kind of feel I'm like, man, everything's like so operatic, even to the point where like, you know, like they're referencing Carmen, you know, like in mm-hmm. uh, when, when, when the little boy, like uh, when Stanley answers that. And then the next scene where John C. Raleigh wanting coffee is like set to that opera. The movie almost kind of plays and feels, and I, I, okay, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a student of music theory or anything, but the movie sort of plays like music feels to me, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, no, as I a, get that. I get you know, like, that. like, honestly, like the way it kind of builds and swells, it feels like, like movements, mm-hmm. you know, and something classical, like, or like, it feels like, you know, uh, verses and refrains and choruses and outros, like, like, it, and it, it's, it's like this lingering like, you know, I, I don't know much about opera, but like, it feels like what I think an opera is, yeah. you know, if it, it, it very, it, it, it is like visual music for me. I think that, I think that's a very, feels like that structurally. I think that's a, I think that's a very fair assessment of it. And I think that's a very valid assessment of it. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's, and yeah because of the fact that it does go there are times where it does go for big emotional moments it, there are sometimes where it goes for quieter emotional moments that feel yeah. big and yeah. i mean in that way yeah it absolutely fits that idea of musical theater and yeah. it's it's really it, it really i mean all of this is seriously making me want to revisit the movie again. Um, <laughs> me, too, me too, man. I'm, I'm loving this talk. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just one of those things where um, it's a very interesting way of approaching it. It's, a, it's an interesting way of approaching cinema. And I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about Paul Thomas Anderson as a filmmaker is the way he uses music. And yes. even whether, you know, Boogie Nights is arguably, Boogie Nights and Heart Eight are arguably probably his more conventional, his most conventional uses of music. And yeah, then, I mean, those, those things play like, that's the thing is, those, those movies, and I mean, this is a compliment, not like a dig, I'm not like taking it down to fake. Yeah. Those movies play like a mixtape, Yeah, you know? Like, like they play like a, like a really good mixtape to me. But like, you know, this plays like, 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 a, like, a, I don't know, like, you know, uh, like a symphony or, you know, like, it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, like, like a, a piece of a larger whole that's like, you know, broken down into movements and nuances. Like when you feel like you're listening to like, you know, like how something sort of evolves and you have, you have this part that is, you know, faster that doesn't quite fit in this part that is kind of like long and languid and like slow and patient. Mm. And, you know, like this ebb and flow of, of pacing where there's long stretches in the movie where nobody's talking and there's parts where it's like rapid fire. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like I, and Paul Thomas Anderson's always been good at that because like, if I'm thinking of the best, like needle drop directors or, you know, people that know how to use music, of course, I'm going to be thinking of like a Scorsese or Tarantino or like, you know, but like, I'm going to include him in that conversation. Yeah. Um, 
and it's uh yeah because i i don't disagree with you like boogie nights and heart eight are great but i i, I don't know how to say it other than that's more like a mixtape as opposed to mm-hmm. like a composed piece of music or like an opera or yeah. something yeah again coming from i'm I'm <laughs> trying to talk intelligently about music when i'm like i'm a film guy so but but, uh, but, but you know i know as, when i listen to it, like how i emotionally respond to what i'm hearing <laughs> so so as somebody who studied film and co- or music in college uh i i can say that you're you're on the right track you're very i do feel like you're very much on the right track when you're talking about this and likening it to music I, I think there's definitely something there when it comes to that. I mean, you look at Punch Drunk Love and the way he uses the yes. Nielsen song, the way mm-hmm. John Bryan's score uh, really goes into the emotions on a pretty hard-edged uh, feel. Even when the movie is really, when the movie is really sweet, it gets really sweet. But also when that rage starts to come out of Barry, the Adam Sandler character, it really gets really intense. And it's the way, and the way the music is used in there will be blood. Oh, the yes. That fam. It is. So yeah, there will be blood in particular. There's, there, there's that movie sounds so unique. It sounds like, the character like there's parts on the landscape where like you know you've got daniel day lewis just walking across the frame mm. and the music i'm like that's what it sounds like when he walks like i like yeah. i don't it just it just it just fits it's just so mm. uniquely on unco- god i love that movie see okay now i want to go watch punch drunk love and there will be <laughs> and like all these and like mm. i know <laughs> you're, you're it's making me want to go do like a, like a pta like film festival <laughs> but i mean that's one of the things that i and that's one of the things that I've come to really appreciate about him as a filmmaker is the fact that he, his movies are so unique and it's, mm. it, and it started with punch and glove. I couldn't get that. I couldn't get that. That one's really underrated. Head. And it, you know, I wasn't a huge Am Sandler fan at the time. I mean, I had mixed feelings on him overall, but like his comedies never really did much for me. So, sure, but but when you see that, I remember thinking, "Holy shit, he can do that!" Yeah, <laughs> like what? And then you have "There Will Be Blood," which is just this remarkable epic, and it's essentially it's essentially about two people. It's got yeah. big images. It's got big ideas. It's a sprawling epic in a lot of ways. It boils down to two people. Mm-hmm. And the master, you know, is a little bit more intimate. It's got more, but it has a big time frame and again, big ideas that sort of approaching when it comes to the the character of Freddie, Joaquin Phoenix's character in that movie. Um, and then Fam Thread, you just have this. You, you just have this triangle of characters and their emotions and the way those play out. It's it's just really... It's, you, you are always going to get something unique when it comes to Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. And I mean, I, it, and I mean even in re-watching it, it's like even, even if I don't love the movie, I can at least admire it for that. Like, 
it's right. still unlike anything else I think I've ever seen. Exactly, and and they're, they're and they're like the furthest opposite thing of like disposable entertainment because like you know yeah. on each rewatch you're like you notice something different or you like it a little bit more. Like I said, their films of his like his films, I feel like I can grow with them some more than others, but like you know like they feel timeless. Now there are I have only seen the Master Inherent Vice and. Uh, uh, Phantom Thread. I've only seen each of those once. Yeah, I haven't ever like disliked any of his movies, but those are the ones that I'm like are still kind of freshest in the roster. Um, mm-hmm. Everything else I've kind of rewatched and dissected to death over over the years. But um, but yeah, no, like you, I, I've never not been rewarded with something different or new, or you know, at least like kind of refallen in love and discovered something else, like on a on a rewatch. Like they're they are. I mean, I think the worst thing that you can say, like, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I've, we've all had those films where you watch it and you're like, hey, it was fine. I mean, yeah. it, you get a bit, you'd have to say like, we're, oh, that was crap. And you watch it later and you're like, oh, I was wrong. This is actually really good because your taste has changed. You could have mm-hmm. the opposite where, oh, I really like this. And you see it later and you're like, what was I thinking? Because my taste has changed. Yeah. Or you get stuck in that really depressing middle ground where you watch it and you're like, it was fine. It wasn't bad. Yeah. But like, but you're like, I don't ever need to see it again. And I've had so many films like that. Some I've even just bought because I'm like, well, I like the cinematography and you're know, like, oh, so-and-so's in it. And I want to revisit it someday, but I don't yeah. because, you know, it's like, it was perfectly fine, but I'm done with it. You know, like mm-hmm. I like, as opposed to his, they stick with you. And I find myself thinking about them. Like I've been thinking, even though I've seen it over and over and over again, I've been thinking about that film since I watched it anxious to talk to you, with you about it because there's so much to discuss. And I'm like, yeah. well, but and you could say, well, like, what's there to discuss? You've seen this over and over. I've talked about this movie with friends. I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying anything really new, but at the same time I am, as I'm, as I'm talking out loud with you, I'm realizing things like, Oh shit, I picked up on that. And I like, I'm just now connecting some of these dots and it's making yeah. me excited and wanting to go back and watch it again with that filter and, you know, see, see what else I can pick up on. And like, you know, if, if maybe that, that thought or that, uh, that analysis is flawed or there's some little further, I can go down the rabbit hole with it. Like it's, it's, he's got, it's like at the time. And this actually kind of ties into a little bit, uh, what we talked about with, um, uh, actually 99 was like a really big year, not just for films, but like I said, for me as a filmmaker, because I went to college hadn't decided yet that I wanted to be a filmmaker. Am I, 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 I say myself, yeah, I'm an independent filmmaker. I'm not, that's not a bragging thing. Like I'm, I'm never going to be a pimple on the ass of Paul Thomas Anderson. Like he, like <laughs> I, I, I make the, I make the shit that I make and I have fun yeah. doing it. But like, but you, I remember thinking like my taste was, it's fine. It, and I still like it, it, it but it was shit. Like if, if it didn't, if it didn't have tits or explosions and like, I didn't really care about it. Like yeah. in high school, I was like, Oh, you know, action movies and you know, bond flicks and everything. I was, I was, I was your prototypical teenage guy. That was just like, Oh yeah, this is just like a disposable entertainment, mm-hmm. you know? And then freshman year of college, I started, like I said, seeing all the stuff that made me realize, hang on. It's stupid. And now it's like somebody said to me, I'm like, yeah, you dumbass. Of course it is. But it's like, <laughs> it's an art form, you know, like I didn't, I, I hadn't quite, I hadn't at that point discovered that differentiation or symbiosis of art and entertainment. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that something can be both. And I remember just realizing 
Um, I mean, I can literally tie it to, it was, uh, it's going to sound pretentious as hell, but like it fits for me. Like I remember it was, uh, I had a, a cinematography professor freshman year of college that showed me, uh, the seventh seal and eight and a half. Those mm-hmm. were two of the films on the list. And I saw those and I was like, I, I had no idea what just happened. Yeah. And those films stuck with me. That was me on the path to realizing Bergman is my favorite filmmaker of all time. And like, you know, just, mm-hmm. just, just, Oh, okay. I don't understand what I just watched, but I'm fascinated by it. And I want to know why I am. And that language of this is a movie. Wait, what's a movie? What's a film? Is that the same thing? Is it yeah. just a medium? Are you like saying like, and, you know, people back then were like, Oh, well, there's a difference between movies and films. So it's very pretentious. I'm like, no, it's, it's all, it's all just, it's an hour and a half or two hour thing. You watch what, what's happening here. But I realized that there is such a thing as it can be entertainment, but it can also be art. And like, that's the difference of, and I'm not trying to be like, like I said, like overly inflated about this idea, but you've got, I love escapism, you know, like that's part of the reason I watch movies. You know, like I said, as you know, the mission impossible last one fallout was, I think a really good marriage of both, but like, I'll sit there and enjoy a popcorn flick as much as someone else. Like, yeah. you know, I, I can't tell you how excited I am for bad boys for life. And I'm not embarrassed about it because <laughs> I, sure. Yeah. I've got a bad boys two poster hung up in my apartment right now. It's, it's all great. I, my taste is so, so all over the board. I really enjoy escaping, escaping and just like, you know, vegging out to a movie as much as the next person. But mm-hmm. I love it when something challenges me, you know, where it's like it's a little more than, you know, I can watch it in the background or, you know, it's not just about getting that adrenaline rush where it's, it's something about. And I found this really interesting with that whole not to go. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the map here and I'm, I apologize. But like the, the whole uh, recent thing about Scorsese making the comments about uh, yeah. Marvel. No, I'm wrong. I love Marvel movies. In, yeah. in game is one of my favorite films of the year. Like I like it's it's I, I'm sure we're gonna disagree, but like that that that's on that's one of a couple five star films I've done this year. Mm. And like I I love that stuff. But I understand what he was saying because he was talking about how films need to he, he thinks like, you know, cinema is responsible to sort of challenge the human condition. Like there's this yeah. saying I love that which uh I think uh Art should disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed mm-hmm. or something like that. I, I might be paraphrasing that wrong, but I remember the first time I read that, like the, the the intent behind that really resonated with me. And that's what I felt like when I realized, oh, shit, cinema is my favorite art form. I think it's the ultimate art form for me. You know, yeah. I'm not going to say that to like a painter or a musician, but I'm like, to me, it is, <laughs> you know, like I like art is art. But all this to be said in a very <laughs> long-winded way of getting around to my point. Paul Thomas Anderson for me is every in every definition of the word a true artist. Yeah. And I happen to be entertained by his work at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um but you know like art is in the eye of the beholder cuz like you know you could watch you know the the cheesiest B movie schlock which I love watching. Yeah. I love like I I did a Halloween horror bitch. I think I told you I watched a horror movie every day in October, and I had one night that was just cheesy '80s horror night. And we watched <laughs> a bunch of like we watched a lot of Jim Wynorski movies, and I have fun doing that because you can find artistry in anything. But like PTA is just like he is for me like one of the penultimate like ideas of what an artist yeah. is as far as a filmmaker. And uh, there's my whole weird long roundabout 
long-winded rant of me <laughs> gushing over how I think that he's genius. So anyway, no, that's 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 quite all right, and I think that's a really great place to end this. Uh, I mean, we could go on about it, but I mean, oh if, yeah, I mean, if you if you haven't seen Magnolia, I I mean, I would you and especially if if you're a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, chances are you've seen Magnolia, and it's a big part of why you're a fan of his. If you haven't seen Magnolia, first of all, I don't know why you listened to us for almost two hours. But at the <laughs> same time, it, it's well worth watching. It's well worth watching for a lot of reasons uh, that we've illuminated here, as well as a lot of things that we probably could go on about. Um, and with all that being said... Uh, Thank you very much for joining me again, Jacob. I, I always oh, love talking to you about movies. I know we've got one more movie coming up, and I'm looking forward yeah. to that discussion when it happens as well. I am too, man. Anytime. I'd like to thank Jacob for joining me tonight to discuss Magnolia. It was a big conversation, but I'm really glad we had it. Uh, this this is a movie that I will probably end up revisiting here shortly. Uh, because of the fact that there's, I, there's kind of a lot to, uh, to discuss with it and to think about with it. And, um, that's it for now for the Sonic Cinema podcast. Uh, there's some more for the class of 1999 that I want to get to this year. And I hope we can get to all of it. And, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema as well as www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you very much.